Welcome back to the official Sasta podcast with your host Harry Stebbings and you can find me on Snapchat at hstebbings or on Mojito VC to hear some more academic long-form thoughts. And the show is brought to you today by godfather of Sass himself, Jason Lemkin, and Jason can be found on Twitter at JasonLK. As for the show today, with the holiday timings, we are releasing this obviously on a Thursday, but as of next week, it will return to the normal release schedule of Monday and Friday. And talking of schedules, what are you doing between the 7th and the 9th of February? The answer is nothing, and if there is something, cancel because we want to have you join us for a mojito party i mean the world's best sas conference and all you have to do to get tickets to sasta annual and the hottest party in san francisco with our mojito party is enter the promo code drinks with harry when you purchase your tickets and you'll not only get invited to the first of many mojito sasta parties which will be legendary but you will also get a staggering 20 percent off the ticket price it'd be absolutely fantastic to see you there and speaking of fantastic experiences moving to the world of software you must check out algolia you might remember we had the pleasure of having their founder nicholas Desain on the show, but Algolia is the robust search API that allows developers to integrate lightning-fast typo-tolerant search into their SaaS product. Out of the box, Algolia offers developers a powerful platform for building great search experiences. By owning the entire stack from engine to server, Algolia free up development teams to focus on adding intuitive search that delights users. This is perfect for existing search teams looking to spend less time on maintenance and infrastructure management and more time on user experience. For small SaaS teams, Algolia is a great investment on top of your existing stack that requires no specialist engineers and you can learn more about how Algolia helps SaaS scale search and get started on their 14-day free trial at algolia.com forward slash SASTA podcast. However, to the show today and I'm so delighted to welcome Michael Driscoll, co-founder and CEO at Metamarkets to the hot seat today. Starting on the company, Metamarkets provide interactive analytics for programmatic marketing and they've raised over $38 million in VC funding from some of our good friends at Data Collective, Founder Collective, IA Ventures and more incredible investors. As for Michael, prior to Metamarkets, he started two other companies including Datasporer, a life science analytics company acquired by Via Science in 2011, and CustomInc.com, an early pioneer in e-commerce. And fun fact of the day, Michael is also a founding partner of the previously mentioned VC fund Data Collective. However, enough from me, so I'm now delighted to hand over to Michael Driscoll, co-founder and CEO at Metamarkets. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Mike, it's so fantastic to have you on the official Sasta podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here, Harry. Now, I'd love to get started today with a two to three minute backstory of you and how you came to found Metamarkets. So Metamarkets was founded about five years ago here in San Francisco. And I came out to Silicon Valley as a computational biologist who had spent the previous almost decade of my life working on high throughput genomics data and genome sequences. I came to Silicon Valley to find, in effect, a place I could ply my talent working with large-scale data sets. As I looked at different verticals, I worked as a consultant for a while for pharma, banks. I even did a stint with Major League Baseball looking at data. And I found that the honeypot or the jackpot of big data was to be found in the world of digital media. And so Metamarkets, the real genesis was that we recognized that you've got this $800 billion industry of media that also has monetization and measurement as well. And all of this is being 
digitally transformed. And so MetaMarkets is trying to and has been working to build a big data analytics stack, interactive analytics dashboards to be the Bloomberg terminal for the high frequency media markets, which today generate more transactions in a given 24-hour period than Wall Street does in the same periods. We think there's about 600 billion trades that occur every day on these high-frequency advertising markets. And MetaMarkets is helping the humans that are the traders on these markets and the marketplace operators at places like AOL, Yahoo, and Twitter make sense of all of this data. It's an exciting place to be if you're someone like me, a data scientist who loves working with large-scale data sets. And before we dive into the digital transformation space you mentioned there, I do want to touch on kind of your honing-in process because you said about your honing-in, obviously, on digital transformations within the marketing sphere. But but you recently tweeted, if you have data in your name, you really need to specialize. So talk to, yes. me, so talk to me, why is specialization and kind of verticalization in SaaS so critical? There's a, a great strategist named Michael Porter, who's written a lot about business strategy and, and how companies can succeed in markets and industries. And Michael Porter talks about basically three generic strategies that companies can pursue. The first is cost leadership. The second is product differentiation. The third is focus. And so with cost leadership, you think of companies like certainly Walmart, who sell to everyone. Many people in America shop at Walmart, and they are the unmitigated cost leader. When you think about differentiation, you think about product differentiation, you think of companies like Apple, again, who sell a product to a very broad market, but they certainly sell a high-end differentiated product. And when you think about focus, that's really where companies, I think, choose a vertical and they go very deep into that vertical and are very successful either with a cost, sometimes a cost leadership in a focused vertical or product differentiation. And again, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, Bloomberg, I think is a great example of a very profitable business that is focused on providing information services to the financial markets and players in the financial services markets. I think when it comes to SaaS, the challenge is software is always being commoditized. You are always seeing low-cost alternatives. So to be a cost leader in software, I think is a pretty difficult thing because the cost leader often is zero. The cheapest software out there is open source, freely available. And we've seen, certainly in the lower ends of the stack, we've seen how open source operating systems, open source databases are really the ones that by a large margin, have market share. So if you're thinking about delivering a software application, I think that cost leadership is a different, you know, is a difficult strategy to pursue. So you're left with these other two strategies of product differentiation or focus. I think Tableau is a great example of a company that has attempted to provide a differentiated analytics product to every vertical, right? A broad set of vertical. And it's it's my belief that what we've witnessed in the last year and a half, maybe two years with Tableau, is we've seen their uh, market cap get sliced in half, maybe in, in a quarter from its high, is that companies that have chosen to focus on a particular vertical are starting to eat away at their market share. So that I do think it's difficult to provide by its very nature. I think that software is most successful when it's specialized, has a very 
tight fit to the workflows of a particular organization or a particular uh, function in an organization. So when I look out at the SaaS landscape, to me, it's very clear that the winners that are taking market share and, and the most successful are those that are providing software to a particular function inside of an organization. So whether that's Salesforce providing software for the sales function, customer success functions, NetSuite and Intact, obviously focused on the finance function. I think that as we look across the different functions in organizations, I think that you find SaaS companies increasingly filling those niches with a focused offering and along the way, displacing some of the desktop tools that were differentiated products that served lots of people. So in a nutshell, I think the sort of office productivity suites of the 1980s and 90s, where people bought a Microsoft Word or Excel or PowerPoint, I think are starting to become displaced by much more focused offerings that I think are more tightly knit into the function of the company or the function of a particular part of the organization. Now, so much to unpack that, but two in particular for me, and and I'm going to say them to you now because I'm you know old and have a terrible memory. But the two are focused offerings and how you get to that thought process, and then the unbundling of software. So let, let's just to keep those in mind before I forget. Sure, sure. <laughs> so the focused offering. How do you know which offering to focus on? Is it a case of ah, I've got specific specialities in in data and pattern recognition on workflows, and so I should do that? Is it mm-hmm. the TAM on this market is bigger than the TAM on that? Is it mm-hmm. kind of go-to-market strategies? What makes one offering more attractive than another, if that makes sense? Well, I think fundamentally the, the value of focus is that you can really tie the return of the software investment in a much more measurable way. So I think the most successful verticalized SaaS offerings, because they're focused on a, a particular function in the organization, are often much more successful at, at showing what the Salesforce, for example, Salesforce investment led to in terms of sales productivity, increases in close rates or acceleration of uh, pipeline velocity. So the challenge with something like Excel is that you can sell Excel, Microsoft can sell it the, that same software product to a hedge fund or to a high school teacher. And it's very hard for them to go in and, and measure and in fact differentiate their pricing and capture the value that they're driving across these different verticals and very different use cases. Whereas I think SaaS, in terms of how a SaaS company chooses a particular focus, as someone once said, if you want to make money in Wall Street, get as close to where the money is changing hands as possible. I think if you want to make money in SaaS, get as close to a place where you can measure the return of your software as possible. And I think that's why we do see so much SaaS focused on things like customer success, monitoring you know, the likelihood of customer Customer churn, all the things that are tied to that bottom of funnel activities within organizations, we've seen a, a real flowering of, of SaaS products and offerings there. I think as you move to other parts of the organization, there still is measurable returns there. But I, I think what you'll see in my prediction would be that with SaaS offerings over in things like finance, you will start to see that those SaaS offerings to the finance organization will tie their value to things like decreasing the number of days that your accounts receivables sit on the unpaid and helping companies basically recover payments faster in a more intelligent way. So I think that in every part of the organization where there's dollars at stake, I think SaaS companies should focus on finding ways to show that their software can help drive revenues up or costs down. So in some ways, it's very simple, but I think that is something that generic 
software offerings couldn't do in the desktop era. Absolutely. No, I very much agree. Going back to kind of the specialization in different areas of SaaS, though, and talking about kind of Excels and the PowerPoints and the words, do you think we're moving to an unbundled world of SaaS software then, or do you not? What is your take on kind of the unbundling in SaaS? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of these theories of systems, in a sense, right? The, you know, the question we often has, have of, are we moving away from the server and, and to clients, or are we moving away from clients to servers, right? And we always have this sort of pendulum swinging where we say, well, everything's going to be hosted in the cloud, and then turn around and we realize, well, actually, there's a lot of value to having things hosted, you know, on our local clients like our smartphones. And likewise, I think the question of, are we going to have end-to-end offerings, or are we going to have these unbundled piecemeal solutions. I think of things from a sort of horizontal and vertical perspective. And I think that my thesis would be in the past, just with the way that IT bought software and infrastructure, I think that IT it was in the game of basically layering horizontal strata on top of each other. So the CIO would buy servers and the CIO would make a decision on which operating system to have there and which database. And all these were sort of broadly horizontal services within an organization, horizontal strata that they would layer on and eventually you would have applications sitting on top of all of that. I do think what we've shifted to, of course, with SaaS is we've seen instead of these horizontal strata, we're seeing these vertical strata so that if you're running Salesforce, you don't need to have an operating system internally. You don't need to have a database internally, right? You get all of that. You get that soup, soup to nuts offering with Salesforce or NetSuite or Slack or you know any other tool. They're taking care of all of that. That shift, I think, has happened fairly dramatically. Now what we're seeing is Okay, there's a little bit of, I think, shifting back to how do we have these vertical strata in an organization communicate with each other? And that's a challenge because if you're running Google Apps on the one hand, let's say all of your email, fundamentally, that's, I think, one of the biggest use cases for Google Apps, and you're running Salesforce for all of your you know, sales productivity and customer service, how do you have these two verticalized strata talk to each other? And I think that's where innovation is happening. I think we're starting to see companies like Okta, for instance, helping manage across all of these verticalized strata of SaaS offerings. How do we have communication between them? So how do we manage user rights and data Right. We would all love if we're in our Gmail to be able, to, as we type an email, to have Salesforce let us know, hey, you know, your fellow salesperson has contacted that prospect before with the following email in the past. So we've got to have ways for these different SaaS slices of value to communicate with each other. And that's where I think there's room for some innovation in the coming years. And talking about innovation in the coming years, obviously MetaMarkets is at the forefront of this. But I, I want to discuss the internal structure of MetaMarkets now. Again, I did my brilliant stalking and you you once tweeted, if you want a job doing well, you have to do it yourself and saying that's the worst piece of advice. So I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts then on team building. And as a, I don't mean to, to push this, a third time sure. startup founder, yeah. what, what lessons have been learned and mistakes have been made from previously building SaaS orgs? And how has that affected how you build the internal structure with MetaMarket? I think the hardest thing about being a founder is that the early days of building a company really do focus on acts of creation, acts of innovation. And that is something that every founder needs to be intimately involved with. As you grow a team, 
you move from doing more creative work to doing more execution work. And, and at that stage, while I think you should never outsource and you should never fully or entirely abdicate the responsibilities of, of creation and innovation, that's something that every founder needs to be deeply involved with. As you scale, the execution tasks do get more important. And that, I think, for a lot of founders is a hard shift to make. I think that's why oftentimes companies get to a certain scale and bring in an outside CEO. He or she is more adept at the execution phase of the business. Well, I'd love to dive into a quick fire round with you now, though. So we call it the 60 seconds faster. So 60 seconds per answer from a short statement. How does that sound? Sure. So let's start with your productivity tools. You're a busy CEO. How do you stay on top? Primarily, I use Evernote. That's what I use as my brain in the cloud. Think of that as my asynchronous notepad. We're big users of Slack here at MetaMarkets and the entire Google apps. Now G Suite, we rely on heavily for collaborating on presentations and other documents internally with the executive team and the entire organization. The biggest mistake that current SaaS companies are enacting with their data science orgs in particular? Too many companies think of data science as something separate and independent from the rest of of the functions inside the company. But data science isn't, I think, its own thing like finance or sales. It's more like arithmetic. It needs to be part of every function in the organization. Mm-hmm. And then what do you know now, generally, that you wish you'd known when you started MetaMarkets? There are so many things I wish I knew when I started MetaMarkets. I would say probably the biggest lesson for me is that the alignment of investors and entrepreneurs is primarily in the same direction. But when it comes to capital efficiency, decisions that you make around you know your use of capital, I think that entrepreneurs need to be much more experienced and knowledgeable about the principles of corporate finance than many of them are. And then final quick fire, and it's harmonizing the engineering and the sales culture under one roof. How do you look to do it? It's a great question. I think that engineers fundamentally don't just want to build software. They want to build software that has an impact on the world and in a commercial organization, the people who drive that impact principally are the sales folks. So I think it's very helpful, in fact, essential for the morale of any engineering organization that you have feedback from sales going not just through filtered through product or customer success, but allowing for the sales organization to communicate and celebrate some of the great features and software that are built by the engineering team and and have that feedback loop and be more direct. And then moving out of the quick fire, but onto a final kind of meta question. And it's, again, my stalking abilities come through. You recently tweeted about the brilliance of True Ventures as an investor in the company. So what should SaaS founders look for then in early stage investors, you having been through the rounds yourself? And, and how did you approach it? I think the number one quality of an early stage investor is patience. Um, you really want to look for VCs that have an eye towards the long term. And there's often a, an easy way to find those VCs. You just need to look at their, I guess, two things. One is what's the size of their fund? The larger the fund, the more patient the investor. And second, how long have they been around? So I think a fund like True Ventures has a lot of capital under management. They re- have a lot of reserve to follow on and be patient to follow 
on their their best seed in Series A investments, and they've been at it for quite a long time, both as investors in True Ventures, but also themselves. I think, and maybe I'll add this as a third: look for VCs that themselves have been operators or entrepreneurs. Absolutely. In in terms of the rounds themselves, how did they differ for you? Was one particularly harder than the other? Did you approach them in different ways? I think there's a, a great saying in Silicon Valley that the different rounds of financing and maturity, the seed is all around team. If you come in as smart with a good PowerPoint deck and some nice pedigree, a good team and a PowerPoint deck will get you your seed round. The Series A is about technology. What have you built? What innovations have you created? And I think Series B and beyond is really about traction. So you do definitely approach each of those raises differently. You you emphasize your credentials and your team in the seed. You emphasize your innovation in the A and you emphasize your product market fit and uh, traction and customer references in, in Series B and beyond. Well, well, a huge congratulations to you for the recent Series C, I think it was. Yes. In fact, not just a Series C, I guess more a credit facility. So we took a non-equity financing route, which I think is one thing that SaaS companies have a unique ability to do when you've got strongly recurring and repeatable revenues. I think we are seeing a big uptick in the number of kind of traditional banking institutions that are willing to take risk on venture-backed businesses because of the, I think, predictable nature of SaaS revenues. So we actually went with a credit facility for that last round. So how does that work? It's something that I'm uncommon with in the world of equity raises. How does that work as a structural finance? Fundamentally, it looks a lot more like the way that banks have traditionally lent to companies. So you know, in the past, a bank loan was secured by, let's say, physical assets like a factory or maybe even intellectual property. Now what banks are doing is they're looking at if you've got a company that has a recurring revenue stream, there's really a couple of places that you can secure that loan against. First is something as simple as the account receivable, right? So part of that financing for us was we bill our clients January 1st and some of them don't pay for several months. So you actually have this gap between when you recognize revenue and when you actually receive the cash. That's a very simple facility that you can extend to fast-growing companies. It's often a very secure and a low-risk bet to make. The second place you can look with SaaS businesses is because many companies like ours are doing 12-month contracts and we have good visibility into what our client retention is and renewals for those contracts, a bank can look and say, well, starting in January, we have three years of historical financials. We know that this company has less than, let's say, 10% churn and their revenues are growing at X percent. We have a strong line of sight into millions of dollars they will earn in the coming year and we can lend against that future revenue. So I think that other businesses don't have those SaaS dynamics. It's very hard to say, hey, we think we're going to book some huge software license in the next 12 months. But SaaS companies that have that sort of steady, monthly, recurring you know, revenue stream, I think are in a position to leverage that reliable revenue for low-interest credit facilities like Metamarket's got. Well, it's, it's a super interesting alternative to the equity and, and learning something for me. But Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. As I said, I'd, I'd heard so much from the Data Collective guys, and it was such a pleasure to hear more from you personally. It's great to be here, Harry, and look forward to the next time.
Now, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Mike for giving up the time today to come on the show, and a special thank you to Matt Oko at Data Collective for the introduction without which the show would not have been possible. And do not forget, Christmas might be over, but that does not mean the alcohol consumption has to dwindle, as we would love to see you at our mojito party at Sasta Annual 2017 in San Francisco. And all you have to do is enter the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY, those three words, DRINKSWITHHARRY, and you'll get a fantastic 20% off the ticket price, plus an invite to the hottest party in town, of course, drinks with me. I can't believe Jason let me do that, but it would be great to have you there. And if you do make the wise decision of coming to Sasta Annual, then you'll see the incredible Algolia team in person. Algolia is the robust search API that allows developers to integrate lightning-fast, typo-tolerant search into their SaaS product. Out of the box, Algolia offers developers a powerful platform for building great search experiences. By owning the entire stack from engine to server, Algolia free up development teams to focus on adding intuitive search that really delights users. This is perfect for existing search teams looking to spend less time on maintenance and infrastructure management and more time on user experience. For small SaaS teams, Algolia is also a great investment on top of your existing stack that requires no specialist engineers. And you can learn more about how Algolia helps SaaS scale search and get started on their 14-day free trial at algolia.com forward slash podcast. And as always, we so appreciate the support and I cannot wait to bring you our next episode.